Hail you true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk three days a week during the offseason. And today we've got plenty to discuss, including Missouri's all-time starting five for basketball. And also I've got another what-if scenario as part of our what if a couple weeks here on the Locked On Podcast Network? Yeah, this one's going to seem controversial, extremely controversial, in fact, on the surface. But once you hear me lay it out, you'll realize there's nothing controversial about it whatsoever. But you know what? First, I got to tell you guys that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get ten dollars off your first order. But before we get to those first two topics, I do want to talk about some more modern stuff. And that's, in this day and age, well, what are we really concerned about? We're concerned about, is football going to happen or not? Well, the NCAA is now saying that football can resume on June 1st, but they are leaving it up to the respective conferences to make the final call on any sorts of protocols and indeed whether Football comes back whatsoever. Well, apparently the SEC, the Southeast Conference, is voting on that, on that, on those topics today, as we speak, perhaps even. But I got a spoiler alert for you: the Southeastern Conference is going to be playing football this fall on time. Now, and by on time, I mean in the fall. Maybe they start a couple weeks earlier. I could see something like that happen. But the idea of there being no football especially in the South this fall, is just absolutely unthinkable. And quite honestly, if you're really taking an objective look at this whole thing, well, Florida and Georgia, two states in the Southeast Conference, obviously, prominently, well, they've been two of the first states to reopen their economies, as it were. And it sure seems like the Piles and piles of corpses that were promised by the Atlantic, for instance, has really not materialized. Now, that's not to say that the coronavirus isn't a serious thing that people shouldn't take seriously and there shouldn't be precautions, yada, yada, yada. Having said that, at a certain point, we've already done our two weeks. We've actually already done 10 weeks. So at a certain point, we've all got to get back to our lives and actually lead them. And the people who are most vulnerable... Yeah, perhaps they need to still be quarantined, and perhaps people around them need to take extra steps of precaution. That's all perfectly fine, but I just think the idea that there's not going to be football this fall, I think that's now off the table. I really do. So that's good news in my world. And in fact, if the season starts as it's scheduled to, we're actually 99 days from the very first Mizzou football game. And you know what? That got me thinking. Who is the best player in Mizzou football history to wear the number 99? Well, there's some pretty obvious examples from recent history. In fact, three that are rather prominent. I would say Lorenzo Williams is a good one. Everybody knows the famous Todd Reesing sack and safety that for all intents and purposes ended the famous 2007 Missouri-Kansas game. Well, he was quite the player on some really, really good teams as an inside interior defensive lineman. And you know what? So was C.J. Mosley, who also wore number 99. He was obviously before Lorenzo, 
early part of the Gary Pinkle era. Ended up playing 11 years in the NFL, very low-key, an excellent career. Guy accumulated quite a few dollars in his life, didn't he? So good for him. Another true son getting it done after Missouri. But honestly, if, if, you, if I got to pick one guy as the best 99 in Mizzou football history, and I'll be honest, if there's some guys from the 40 and f- 40s and 50s I missed, I apologize. But to me, Jeff Wolfert has got to be the guy. Now, we can sit here and argue about how valuable a place kicker actually is, but when it comes to comparing him to his peers, his peers at his position, to me, Jeff Wolfert is the best place kicker in Mizzou football history, and it's not particularly close. Now, I will say, Jeff Jackie was a very good kicker as well. He was, back to my early days of Mizzou fandom, a guy who kicked in the Bob Stahl era, Nothing against Jeff Jackie. I just think that considering Wolfert was a part of some of the greatest teams in Mizzou football history, made some incredibly important kicks, I just think he's got to be the guy. He's got he's to be just being on those 07, 08, and the 06 teams as well. He's got to be the guy, in my humble opinion, as the greatest 99 in Mizzou football history. And I sure as heck hope we really are 99 days from football. And hey, did you hear about the NFL's proposed 4th and 15 rule that can replace the onside kick? What do you think about that? We've discussed that a little bit in this space. And if you've heard my previous takes, you know that I'm a little bit conflicted on this. On one hand, in the NFL, yes, they've stopped rushing up to the line from 5 yards back, 10 yards back. Now you have to be 1 yard off the line of the kick, basically. So what the idea of all that is obviously to reduce injuries, to reduce massive collisions, which in some ways is a worthy goal. Unfortunately, it's also ruined onside kicks, something that was you'd maybe recover 8-9% of the time. Now it's like 1% of the time. And that's not very exciting when a team is trying its last gasp effort to try to make a comeback. So what does this have to do with college football, you might be asking? Well, in my opinion, it's only a matter of time before college football does the same thing as the NFL, which is reduces the amount of sprinting up to the line that you can do before the kick, again, in an effort to reduce concussions, massive injuries, all that type of stuff. So eventually, we might see this 4th and 15 or some similar version of this rule adopted in college, too. So we as college football fans are going to have to think about this as well. Now, it should be noted that this proposed rule, you can only take that 4th and 15 from the twenty your own 25-yard line. You can only do that twice in one game. So if the Chiefs, if you're worried about the Chiefs going for it every single time and never kicking off, well, that's not going to happen. And frankly, I'm glad because I was a little worried that some team might just go crazy and decide to go for it on 4th and 15 every time. As a football fan, I just don't like that idea. I think the idea of alternating possessions is what both football and basketball are based upon. So you should really have to do something special to get that ball back. So recovering an onside kick qualified, in my opinion. I'm not sure that getting a 4th and 15 does. Personally, I think it should be more like 4th and 20. Because, I don't know, maybe some of you saw me retweet this stat, but Kansas City, for instance, was 12 of 16 on third and 15s last year, and that didn't even include the Wasp play. 
So the famous Wasp play to Tyreek Hill for 55 yards on their third and 15 in the Super Bowl. So again, just something to think about there because this stuff is going to come to college one way or the other. And you know what? Another thing to think about is the next time you're feeling a little peckish. Maybe you would like a treat of some sort, but you don't want to just go whole hog and eat an entire package of Oreos or something. Well, my recommendation would be to grab a Built Bar because Built Bars are awesome protein bars. They're chock full of protein, but they're also covered with 100% chocolate as well. And the cool thing about Built Bar is they have 16 flavors, half of which are nut varieties and half are are non-nut. And the cool thing about it is if you are the type of person that are worried about nut allergies, well, these different varieties are actually put together in separate factories. So there's no co-mingling, no chance of nut contamination whatsoever. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And coming up, I make my case for the Mizzou all-time starting five in basketball. Well, ESPN.com ran a pretty fun couple pieces recently about who would the NBA's, every franchise's, what would their all-time starting fives look like? And, you know, just as as an example here, I've often thought that the 2017 Warriors, the first year that they added Kevin Durant, well, that was basically the best team I've ever seen. You could maybe argue for the 86 Celtics, the 96 Bulls, maybe the 93 Bulls. I don't know. Whoever you want to argue. To me, it was the 90, the, the 2017 Warriors. Excuse me, the, 20, the 2017 Warriors. There we go. Got it right the second time. But the question with the Warriors, you know, you could argue, you can always argue eras. You can always debate eras. And obviously in this era, say that 2017 Warriors team had to play the 2000 Lakers and Shaquille O'Neal in his prime. Well, in today's NBA, there is nobody like Shaquille O'Neal. And obviously the Warriors would need at least a couple Andrew Bogut type players, if not Andrew Bogut himself, in order to stop Shaq and at least have some fouls, put a big body on him, or else he's going to score 70 points a game against a small ball type team. That's for sure. Well, of course, if you add Wilt Chamberlain to that team, who used to play on the Philadelphia Warriors, suddenly not so much a problem. So I just thought it would be fun to do that exercise with the Missouri Tigers as well. Now, as I alluded to with that Warriors preamble, the game has changed quite a bit, to say the least, in in my lifetime. For instance, I was born in the early 80s, just going from the the classic 80s, mid-90s, what I would think is the golden era of college basketball, obviously so much more three-point shooting in today's game, to say the least, and also just more guys leaving early. There's no doubt about that. So what I'm going to say for this hypothetical scenario, let's just pretend that we're playing in 2020, that these are 2020 rules, and these five guys, well... They're going to have to play against, say, I don't know, the rest of the all-time great five lineups in college history. So I guess the first question is, really my biggest question, is how much shooting do I want on this five? You know, I'm the type of guy who generally, for years and years, I've been a fan of 
not having two traditional big men. Basically, your Carl Malone-type power forward, he just needs to get out of the way and go stand in the corner. That's the type of offense that I've always favored for the last probably 10 to 15 years. And now everybody is doing that type of offense. But in spite of that fact, I'm going to go with two more traditional big men because I really feel like the front line for this Missouri starting five is pretty obvious. First of all, Steve Stepanovich is my center, right? He was a number two overall pick in the NBA draft, probably the greatest center in Mizzou history. That's a pretty easy one for me. And then number four, at the four spot, I should say, I'm still sticking with Doug Smith. Now again, is this maybe the perfect spacing scenario that I would like to have for my ideal offense? For me, no, it isn't. But having said that, Doug Smith is not exactly the traditional lumbering foreman, is he? See, I like to play fast, and Lord knows Doug Smith can finish on a fast break. And honestly, I think if you had Doug in 2020, gave him some time to expand that three-point range, I think he could do it. His senior year, he started stepping out behind the line occasionally, so I just don't think that's the silliest thing in the world. However, I don't want to just have Doug Smith standing in the corner to create space for Stepanovich. That's ridiculous. And quite honestly, there is something, I think, lost in this modern game where you, if you go back and watch Doug play, for instance, go watch him play his last game that's online against Notre Dame, his last home game in the Hearn Center. He made some really nice interior passes to Chris Heller for easy baskets. I just think him and Stepo could have actually worked rather nicely together, quite frankly. And again, just the idea of Stepanovich grabbing a rebound, outletting it to somebody, and Doug Smith just sprinting down court while his man struggles to keep up, that's the beginning of a really good fast-break offense to me. But, you know, to round out the rest of our front court, the three-man, again, to me, this is an obvious pick. It's got to be current Columbia resident, Derek Chivas. I mean, come on. He's our all-time leading scorer, 2,500 points, nearly scored 20 a game. And those first two years, actually no three-point line for Derek. But here's the thing with Derek Chivas. You think, oh, well, this is another spacing problem here, not a, not a great three-point shooter. Well, I would push back against that because guess what? His junior season was actually the first time you could shoot threes in NCAA basketball, and Chivas actually made 39% of them. Then his senior year, he was actually over 50% from the three-point line. Now, granted, he only took, he only attempted about one three a game for that 50%, but still, you're telling me that guy with that scoring ability, that stroke, you're telling me he couldn't have taken a few more threes and made a few more? I'm pretty sure he could have, but regardless, that you've got your great scoring forward there and I like the size of this front line too we're going to get a lot of rebounds we've got a lot of length defensively too with Chivas, Doug Smith and Stepanovich and now finally you've got the two guard spots right we need some shooting and we definitely need some ball handling with those three front court players that I just mentioned so to me there's really three obvious options for those two spots with all due respect to Willie Smith for instance I just can't quite get there with him. I need a little bit more spacing. Now, there's a guy, the three-point line was well before his era. I just don't know that his game, in terms of just outside shooting, would have translated in the way that I want. 
By the way, feel free to disagree with me on any of these takes. Feel free to give me your starting five. Email me lockedonmazoo at gmail.com or hit me up on social media anywhere at Locked on Mizzou. But to me, the three spots, the three guys for those two spots, it's got to be John Sunvold, Anthony Peeler, and Melvin Booker. And you know what? I hate to say it, but I think John Sunvold is my odd man out. As much as I, he's got a, he's going to be announcing this game. That's what he's going to be doing, and and managing your portfolio. But no, in all seriousness, if I could get six guys, Sonny's definitely my sixth man for sure. But honestly, I'm going to go with Booker because I need a traditional point guard. I really do. I think Sunvold handled the ball a little bit. He was the de facto point guard when there were injuries at times. But to me, just give me, give me a guy like Booker who to me is a guy who would have had a long career in the NBA if he were in the 2020 era. If you think about the 94 draft, if you guys have been watching The Last Dance, just think about where the NBA was in 94. It was all about the Knicks and hand-checking and big guards and all this, all this kind of stuff and throwing the ball into the post. Now I think with a spaced floor, more three-pointers, I think that would have all – and less hand-checking on a, on a smaller player like Booker, relatively small for the NBA standards. To me, I think he would have absolutely thrived. He wouldn't have been as good as his son, Devin, by any means, but I think he would have had a career, let's put it that way. And then just comparing the two KC guys at the two-guard spot, Anthony Peeler or Sunvold, you know, again, as great of a shooter as John Sunvold was, and he truly was a great three-point shooter, in fact, he led the NBA in 89-90 with 52% from three, despite the fact that he didn't have the three-point line when he was in college. But it's easy to forget that Peeler was an outstanding shooter, too. And in fact, he also led the NBA at 48% in the 03-04 season. And he was also over 40% a couple times in college, too. So to me, if we're going to be playing in 2020, if we're going to be playing these all-time great teams Give me the athleticism of Peeler. Give me the guy, again, in the fast break who can get out on the open court and a guy who can finish with a dunk in the paint. Because, again, I've said this before and I'll say it again, with each passing year, that particular asset gets more important. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you didn't see guys like LeBron James flying from behind, perimeter players ostensibly, and blocking layups from behind like he did to Andre Iguodala on that one famous play or like Tayshawn Prince did to Reggie Miller several years ago that was really the first time I ever saw that sort of block from behind play and now perimeter players are doing that all the time guys are just getting more bouncy more explosive as years go along so for that reason give me Anthony Peeler so just to recap we got Booker Peeler Chivas Smith and Stepo. What do you guys think? Hit me up at Locked on Mizzou. And after this, I got one more highly controversial what-if scenario. All right, my final what-if scenario is what if Mizzou football had integrated earlier? Ooh, you didn't see that coming, did you? Ha-ha-ha. And yes, we are going to focus on football here, although this could easily be just as relevant for basketball as well. But again, let's focus on football. Missouri's first black football player was Norris Stevenson in 1958. 
Well, Jackie Robinson broke the major league color barrier, as obviously most of you know, some 11 years earlier in 1947. And just for a little more context, the Alabama Crimson Tide did not integrate until 13 years after Missouri added Norris Stevenson to its roster. Alabama didn't integrate until 1971. And basically they did so because they were tired of getting their teeth beaten in, their their very white, pearly white teeth beaten in every single week by SEC schools who had integrated. So like I said, while this may seem, anytime you bring up race, especially in our modern times, right, can be viewed as a controversial topic, really there's no controversy whatsoever. Because if, say, Missouri had integrated a year, two years, three years, we'll just say 1950, they integrated. Well, that would have been eight years of Missouri dominating the Big Eight. That's what would have happened. They would have been much, much, much better. Let's put it that way. I mean, we even saw this as late as 1969 in the 1970 Orange Bowl, at least from my experience of watching these old games. When we played Penn State, that was a pretty lily-white team other than Franco Harris that I could notice. But Missouri had several black players, especially at the skill positions, who made an enormous difference in the ball game. I mean, Missouri's speed with Mel Gray, John Staggers, different players, man, it was just, really, it was night and day looking at our skill players against Penn State's, and frankly, if it weren't for some miscues here and there and just some odd coaching by Dan Devine, I think Missouri definitely had the better team there. And again, we're talking about Missouri and Penn State. Wouldn't it be nice if we were on or above Penn State's level again, that would feel pretty good. So, again, this is an obvious one. The earlier Missouri integrated, the better it would be. And frankly, the history books would have looked down at Missouri as this awesome, progressive institution that would have had more Big 8 championships, maybe even an AP national championship or something, and we would have been looked at like Texas Western, basically, when they started their all black starting five there would have been documentaries made about mizzou that type of deal if we would have just led the way now as i say this as i say this what if hypothetical scenario it's less to pile on mizzou and act like they were the only racist institution in the world at that time because clearly that was far from the case but no it's just to point out actually what i've always thought of is just the counterproductive stupidity of racism. Listen, if you're going to refuse to trade with somebody, for instance, or do business with somebody who has an excellent product, an excellent service, because they happen to look different than you, well, you know what? Not only is that an ugly way to be, it's totally counterproductive to you. It doesn't just hurt the other person, it hurts you as well, and arguably maybe even more so. And honestly, again, It couldn't be more obvious that Alabama, by refusing to integrate until 71, that obviously hurt their football program badly, especially in the 1960s. So if the opposite is the case, as I believe it is, then Missouri would have been even better the earlier they would have integrated. I don't see who could even argue with this. And with all that said, and boy, that was a... Heady topic to take on, wasn't it? I have nothing if not balls. you got to give me that. (laughs) So until next time, i got to remind you guys, 
definitely check out Locked on the NFL Draft by following it on Spotify or subscribing on Apple Podcasts. So again, until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou. Thank you.